The following sermon was delivered by Associate Pastor Kate Dunn during morning worship at Fifth Avenue Presbyterian Church in New York City. We welcome you to worship with our vibrant community of faith every Sunday on the corner of Fifth Avenue and 55th Street in the heart of Midtown Manhattan. And now, here is Reverend Dunn. Our scripture today comes from the Gospel of Matthew, chapter 15, verses 21 to 28. Jesus left that place and went away to the district of Tyre and Sidon. Just then, a Canaanite woman from that region came out and started shouting, Have mercy on me, Lord, son of David. My daughter is tormented by a demon. But he did not answer her at all. And his disciples came and urged him, saying, Send her away, for she keeps shouting after us. He answered, I was sent only to the lost sheep of the house of Israel. But she came and knelt before him, saying, Lord, help me. He answered, It is not fair to take the children's food and throw it to the dogs. She said, Yes, Lord. Yet even the dogs eat the crumbs that fall from the master's table. Then Jesus answered her, Woman, great is your faith. Let it be done for you as you wish. And her daughter was healed instantly. This is the word of God for you, the people of God. Thanks be to God. Please pray with me. May the words of my mouth and the meditations of all of our hearts be acceptable in your sight, O God, our rock and our redeemer. Amen. When preparing a sermon, it's common for a preacher to consult a variety of biblical commentaries because scholars and theologians often have different perspectives or opinions about scriptural texts. Occasionally, those differences of opinion become quite heated, which is the case with today's passage. My first reaction when I read this story is always surprise that it made the final cut when the editors were piecing the New Testament together. To say this story offers a troubling portrayal of Jesus, at least to this contemporary reader, is an understatement. At best, I think, okay, the Son of God got up on the wrong side of the bed that morning. At worst, he comes across as prejudiced, indifferent to suffering, and downright cruel. This is not the image I carry around in my head and heart about Jesus. The guy in this story is not someone I would choose for my friend, let alone my teacher, shepherd, moral guide, redeemer. Why did Matthew and also Mark choose to keep this story in their gospels when with just a little bit of editing, no one would ever need to see this side of Jesus? Why was it so important that this story be told? Just by saying this much about my initial reactions to this story, I've already picked a fight with any number of commentators who want to defend or explain Jesus' behavior or soften his language. Some argue that when he said it wasn't fair to take the children's food and throw it to the dogs, he didn't mean the term dog as an insult. He was actually calling this woman and her child little puppies, equating them with cute domesticated pets who wait under the table for any scraps that might come down. I suppose it's possible that what sounds so harsh to us today didn't sound as harsh to that woman back then. I'm not convinced of that, though, because the food he's talking about withholding is the healing this woman's child so desperately needs. I wonder if that interpretation says more about us 
about our desire to see Jesus as gentle and mild, or at least not dismissive in the face of suffering. Some commentators say that Matthew's original audience would have agreed that Jesus was sent to minister to the lost sheep of the house of Israel, not to a pagan who doesn't observe ritual purity laws. In their eyes, healing this woman's daughter actually would be the equivalent of throwing children's food to dogs. Jesus is the lost children of Israel's healer, not everyone's healer. And Jesus in this scenario isn't being rude, just clear about his job description. He's trying to stay in his lane, not get distracted. Some commentators say he's testing the woman's faith, wanting to see if she's willing to go the distance and asking for help, willing to persist, willing to be humiliated, willing to be called whatever names he wants to call her if he will only help her daughter. Others say he's testing the disciples to see if they are so prejudiced that they will continue to insist on sending her away. And by granting this woman's request, he's teaching the disciples a lesson about not being so judgmental of the other. Others say this is actually a story about God working through this Canaanite woman to expand Jesus' own understanding of his call. But through her persistent appeals, Jesus changes his mind. And by the end of the story, no longer thinks he was sent only to the lost sheep of Israel, but understands that God sent him to minister to everyone. I preached on this text a number of years ago and suggested this last interpretation. A few days later, I received a sweet but distressed letter from someone who argued that it was not possible for Jesus to grow in understanding about his calling on earth, because Jesus, being God, must have known exactly what he was supposed to be doing and would never have to the need to be taught by another person, let alone change his mind about something. God is the same yesterday, today, and tomorrow, and therefore God does not ever change God's mind, she said. This immediately brought to mind my favorite story in the Bible, Jonah. Jonah brings the message to the people of Nineveh that God plans to destroy them for their sins, and they listen to Jonah's warnings and immediately repent in the hope that God might relent. The scripture says, when God saw what they did, how they turned from their evil ways, God changed God's mind about the calamity God had threatened to bring upon them, and God did not do it. In this scripture and many others, God is not depicted as rigidly inflexible, but attentive, mindful, and responsive to humanity. The capacity to change one's mind is both human and divine. It is perhaps one of the ways in which we are made in the image of God. Charles Spurgeon, one of England's most famous 19th century preachers, preached numerous times on the text of the Canaanite woman's faith, saying, the story is so full of meaning that one might turn it this way and that way and the other way and always see jewels in it. I agree. So what jewels does this story hold for us today? One way to delve into any scripture is to ask, where do we see ourselves in this story? Do we relate to the Canaanite woman's daughter? Perhaps we know what it feels like to be tormented by something within that endangers our peace of mind and perhaps even our life, an addiction, an eating disorder, mental illness, 
cancer, COVID-19. Depending on the severity of the affliction, we may know how it feels to battle something terrifying while depending on someone else to navigate the medical system, the insurance coverage, to talk to doctors and advocate for us to get the care we need. We may also feel alone with our affliction, unsure if any help will come our way. Perhaps we relate to the Canaanite woman. Perhaps there's someone we love, someone dependent on us who is suffering and needs us to figure out how to help them. We may find ourselves feeling desperate and afraid and not sure we're up to this responsibility. We may also be willing to do anything we can to get our loved one the help they need, even if that means that other people may disapprove of our behavior. The Canaanite woman reminds me of Shirley MacLaine in terms of endearment. She plays Aurora, the mother of a daughter with cancer. In one scene, she approaches the nurse's station saying, excuse me, it's after 10, give my daughter the shot. One nurse says, Mrs. Greenway, I was going to, just a few minutes. Aurora goes on to the next nurse. Please, it's, it's after 10. I don't see why she has to have this pain. Ma'am, the nurse says, it's not my patient. Aurora starts running around the nurse's station, getting increasingly hysterical. It's time, do something. All she has to do is hold on till 10 and it's past 10. My daughter's in pain, give her the shot. Are you going to behave? The first nurse asks, to which Aurora screams. Give my daughter the shot. If for whatever reason you missed terms of endearment along the way, just Google Shirley MacLaine, give my daughter the shot to see the video clip. It's a classic. I picture Shirley MacLaine as the Canaanite woman running around the disciples, shouting for Jesus at the top of her lungs, have mercy on me, Lord, son of David. My daughter is tormented by a demon. She's not going to behave. She does not have time or patience to approach Jesus meekly to see if he's willing to talk to her. She's beside herself with concern and she knows within the depths of her soul that Jesus has the power to relieve her daughter from torment. She will get his attention, whatever it takes. Perhaps instead of this mother or her daughter, we relate to the disciples who I picture very much like those beleaguered nurses. They know how exhausted Jesus is and they're pretty tired themselves. Everywhere they go, there's need, need and more need and there's only so much Jesus to go around. They may be trying to protect him from being bothered by someone who doesn't even meet the criteria of the kind of person he's supposed to be helping. They may be wanting some time to talk to him themselves process everything that's been happening, think about what lies ahead, but they can't because this woman won't stop shouting. And then despite all their efforts to get rid of her, Jesus engages the woman in conversation about his job of all things. They're probably thinking, there is Jesus going off script again. Why can't he just send her away? And when they hear Jesus praise her saying, woman, great is your faith. They remember what he said to Peter just a few days before, you of little faith. They must be asking themselves, how does this make sense? What makes his faith little and her faith great? 
we might have similar questions. What does it mean to have faith? It's one of those phrases that's so easy to say, but pretty hard to define. What makes the Canaanites woman's faith so great? What about Jesus? Can we relate to him? The woman shouts at him, begging him for mercy. The disciples say, send her away. Almost as if speaking to himself, he answers, I was sent only to the lost sheep of the house of Israel. She kneels before him saying, Lord, help me. He answers, it is not fair to take the children's food and throw it to the dogs. Is there a better way to shut down a conversation than to compare the person you're speaking with to a dog? But it's almost as if the Canaanite woman knows the cardinal rule of improv, respond to every statement with yes and, yes, Lord, and yet, even the dogs eat the crumbs that fall from their master's table. He dismisses her as a dog, and yet three times she refuses to be dismissed and claims him as her Lord. And then he calls her woman and says, great is your faith. Can we see Jesus as a product of his time and place, fully human, warts and all, with prejudices even he has to learn how to overcome? Can we see him as a man who wrestles with himself, a man who wants to be fair, a man who doesn't send away this mother begging for mercy, but talks to her instead, and through their conversation, comes to realize that he was not sent only to the lost sheep of the house of Israel, but to the lost sheep of Tyre and Sidon too. Can we see him as someone who grows in his awareness of who he is called to be because of this woman's great faith in him and who ultimately responds to her suffering with kindness and healing? If we think of Jesus as someone who was occasionally irritable and occasionally biased against people who were different from him until he got to know them better, and occasionally uncertain of exactly what he was supposed to be doing with the time and gifts he'd been given, does that make it more possible for us to relate to him? Could we perhaps trust in his ability to empathize with the challenges we face in our lives? The times when we don't show the world the best side of ourselves, the times when we judge too quickly, when we consider the suffering of others not our problem, the times when we wonder, what is our purpose? What is it exactly that God put us in this world to do? Is he someone we can trust, really knows the challenges and struggles of being human because he has been there and done that? And that he also knows the grace that comes when another human being has more faith in you than you have in yourself? Can we trust the full, messy, complicated humanity of the Son of God? Yes, I think we can. And this is exactly what makes this Jesus someone I would choose to be my friend.
teacher, shepherd, guide, and redeemer after all. And now may the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ, the love of God, and the communion of the Holy Spirit be with you now and always. Amen.